What is real? In these uncertain days, it is harder and harder to tell what is real from what isn't. Take a look at this beautiful flower. I was given this flower recently. It's beautiful. I could even pin it on my shirt. But if I look closely at it, there's one problem. As beautiful as it is, as attractive as it is, it's not actually real. It's not a flower at all, but a piece of artificial material. This, on the other hand, is a flower. It grew in the ground just outside my house. It has an aroma. It has an intricate beauty and detail that no matter who I gave this to, they could tell in an instant, upon close inspection, that this is the real deal. But what about things that we can't see so clearly? Edgar Allan Poe said, believe nothing that you hear and only half of what you see. And that was 175 years ago. He would probably lower the st statistics today. Because after all, with the internet, with media, with technology that we have today, you can make almost anything appear to be real. And people are wondering, more than ever before, what is real? How can we know the truth? What is the ultimate reality within the universe? Let's take another adventure and explore these questions from the Word of God. This is one of my very favorite places to come to study God's Word, to meditate, and to pray. Speaking of prayer, why don't we kneel down and pray to the Lord right now? Loving Father in Heaven, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that we have to study your Word. Lord, as we contemplate these important questions to know what is really real? I pray, Lord, that you will impress upon our hearts the words from the book you have given us. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. We could stay here and meditate for a long time. But let's keep on going on our journey. So, we wonder and we ask as we are bombarded by information on every side, what is really real? Can we trust the media? Can we trust what we read on the internet? You know how the old saying goes, you can be anybody on the internet. Nobody on the internet knows that you're a dog. You've seen the old cartoon. Imagine the young lady who's falling in love with a man she met on the internet only to go and find him, meet him for the first time, and discover that he is 20 years older than his online profile said. Imagine the disappointment. It happens all the time. But what if, what if we're basing decisions in our lives that are staking far more than just our relationship? What if we stake our entire lives upon information that comes into us through our senses? We do it, my friends. All of us do it. We make those decisions, and the only thing we have to go on is what comes into our mind. But how do we know? How do we know what is really real? 
the way we answer these questions relates a lot to questions that philosophers have struggled with for many, many years. It relates to this question of things that we call worldview. How do we see the world? You see, every one of us has a framework that we use to interpret the things that we see and hear on a day-to-day basis. Often, we don't even think about it. We take it for granted. But every one of us, man, woman, and child, whether you live in the United States, whether you live in Africa or Asia, we have a system that we've inherited from our parents, from our culture, that tells us what are our values, how do we interpret the things that come to us. This worldview answers the most fundamental questions of life. Questions like, what is real? What can we believe? What values do we hold? What story do we tell ourselves about the world around us? Is the world a hostile place or is it a friendly place? Is what we see the limit of all that exists? Or is there an invisible world, an invisible realm that transcends the physical space? A realm where spirits, where God, where Satan lives? The answer to all of these questions defines our answers to all the other questions that come to us in life. Really, if you look around the world, there are a number of different worldviews. Probably the most common worldview that we have today is what we would call secularism or materialism. Like I just described a moment ago, in the materialist worldview, what you see, the material world, is all there is. Anything outside of this material world is outside of the realm of questioning within our interpretive framework. And many of us, even as Christians, in the United States of America and the Western world, follow perhaps a very much materialistic worldview. We interpret everything we see and hear in terms of the material and physical world. Energy and matter, that is the ultimate reality to the materialist. Now, if you go to some other cultures, for example, some animistic cultures in the third world country, in Africa, in uh, East Asia, you'll find cultures where everything trees and rocks and river and space, everything is driven by an unseen spirit. And there's spirits that live in the tree and the water and the rocks and the sun and the rain. And the whole goal of life is not to to, to um, interpret the material world, but to try to connect with and understand and manipulate these spirits that live in the trees and the rocks and the sunshine and the rain and the wind. And if you have that worldview, you see everything. You answer all of the questions of life very differently than we would in a materialistic worldview. But for the Christian, what is the ultimate reality? Is it material things? Is it spirits that we must appease? Or is there something else? Have you ever met a celebrity? Someone that you had followed for perhaps months, perhaps years through the media, and then finally met them in person? Have you ever been disappointed or or perhaps surprised about how they were in person as opposed to the way you imagined them to be when you read about them or saw them on TV? I remember as a kid, growing up, my family always had the Adventist Frontier Missions magazine. 
and I would devour the magazine. As soon as it came in the mail, I would read the stories, and I felt like I had become friends with these missionaries that were in grand and wonderful places all over the world, in Africa and Asia and all over the world. Then one day, a missionary family came to our church. I got a chance to meet them actually in person. And you know what? I discovered something. Those people that I had idolized for many, many years, they were common, ordinary people. Wonderful people, Christian people, but common, ordinary people, just like all the rest of us. And you know, I got to thinking, if they can do that, if God could call them to go to far-flung places of the world, maybe I wonder if he would call me to be a missionary. Well, I didn't have to think long. Before you knew it, I was sending in my application to become a student missionary. And before too much longer, I was on an airplane flying halfway around the world to the southern part of the continent of Africa to work for nine and a half months as a student missionary, working with the Hemba people of Namibia. I was living a dream. But you know, it was because I realized that the reality of those people that I had always idolized was far different from who I'd expected them to be. I'd expected them to be some kind of extraordinary superhuman beings to to accomplish all of these feats. But you know, I discovered that they were ordinary people used by an extraordinary God. And it makes me wonder something about God. Is it possible that in all of our reading of the Bible, in all the time that we've studied, that we maybe haven't really understood the basics of who He is? Maybe we have some preconceived ideas about God. And if we were to get past those preconceived ideas maybe we would find that he isn't at all like who we thought he would be. In fact, that's what happened to several characters in the Bible itself. In stories that we read, take, for example, the story of Jacob. Jacob, who had deceived his brother, who had grown up in the home of his father and mother, Isaac and Rebekah, he thought he knew about God. But one day, it was one of the lowest points of his life. He had to flee from home. His brother had had threatened to kill him. And he fled to his uncle with nothing but a staff in his hand. And as he was running through the wilderness, exhausted, tired, the sun had set, he lay down, put his head on a stone for a pillow. And as he slept... God came to him. God, the the God who had come to Abraham, the God who had come to his father Isaac, the same God came to him in vision and gave him this beautiful picture. Jacob thought that he had been the furthest from God that he ever possibly could go, in the wilderness with nothing but a stone for a pillow. But there in vision he saw a ladder coming from heaven down to earth and angels of God ascending and descending on that ladder. And as he woke up that next morning, he exclaimed, God was in this place, and I knew it not. I had no idea who God really was. And he set up that stone as a pillar, a monument of his encounter with God. My friends, if you could encounter God today, what do you think he would say to you? Do you think he would be like you always imagined God to be? 
Many people imagine that God is way up in heaven. He is so powerful, so, so big, so infinite. Well, all those things are true. But are there other characteristics of God that perhaps, though we read them in the Bible, we don't internalize? There was another time that Jacob encountered God. It was later in his life, after he had lived with his uncle for many years. He had married, he had amassed flocks and herds, and he was traveling back over the same territory to return to his father's home. But this time, this time, though he had all of this material possessions, he was still afraid. His brother, Esau, was still out to get him out to kill him, and he knew it. He trembled in fear. And he longed for that peace and assurance that God had given him before on his journey. Even still, on this journey, now he could see the angels traveling with him, just as he had seen those angels coming up and down on that beautiful ladder. But still he was afraid. And all night, he, he went out to pray, to struggle, in prayer with God. But as he was praying, there someone touched him. Someone put a hand on his shoulder. In an instant he jumped up. Who could this be but but an enemy? Esau or one of his men has come to slay me. And he jumped up and he began wrestling with that angel. Wrestling to the death. He didn't know who it was. But as he wrestled there and wrestled and wrestled, suddenly the angel reached down touched the hollow of his thigh, and instantly he was crippled. But in that instant, my friends, in that instant, he realized something special, something wonderful. He realized that this adversary whom he had been wrestling with was none other than the God of heaven. Jesus Christ, Michael, the archangel, who had come to encounter him, come to encourage him, but he didn't recognize him. My friends, if Jesus came to you today, Would you recognize him? Let's continue on our journey. We started exploring this idea of God's outrageous love in the last message I preached at the London Church Building. But I want to explore it just a little bit further. We talked about the heart of David. How, though his son had rebelled against him, his son Absalom, and had torn the kingdom from his grasp, Yet David wept at his son's death. He would have rather died than to see Absalom die. And how this tells us something of the heart of God. You know, I ask, if we were to see God, if we were to encounter him, would we recognize him? Well, it really happened, my friends. God came in the form of Jesus, in the form of a babe, and was born in a manger. He lived for over 30 years among us as human beings, as a human being, to show us something of the love of God. And you know what? Just like I said, we didn't recognize him. Just like Jacob failed to recognize in that angel, in that adversary, the angel of the Lord, so when Jesus came to this earth, most of his people didn't recognize him. We crucified him. We mistreated him. We did everything we could against him. And yet he was 
the God of heaven. He came to reveal to us who He is. We still, today, I believe, misunderstand Him. Though He taught in simple language, though He told us over and over again who He was and who He is, I believe many of us would rather follow a set of prescribed rules, would rather view God as powerful and and all-knowing rather than to view Him as a God of love. Why is this? I don't know. Maybe it's because His love somehow crosses the natural, unregenerate heart. It takes something to respond to love. It changes us. It transforms us. But the good news is, my friends, not everyone rejected him. There were some who accepted him. His disciples, the women, many. In fact, at the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were baptized in a day. And the early Christian church turned the world upside down. What was the message of this early Christian church? It was the message, my friends, of the love of God, the love of Jesus. Jesus said to Philip, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The glory of heaven, the love of the Father was poured out in Jesus Christ. Poured out to the point of death so that you and I could have life. So that our hearts could be transformed and reunited to the loving heart of God. You know, my friends, a lot of people, even today, misunderstand what it means to love. Misunderstand what it means that God is love. We misunderstand the character of God, the character of Jesus. We like to argue about who he was. What was Jesus' relationship to the Father? You know, one of the biggest issues in the early Christian church, and it's, it's surfaced again even today within the Seventh-day Adventist church. People are discussing again, what is the nature of God? What is the nature of Jesus? Is Jesus the same as God? Is Jesus somehow less than God? Was he created by God? Who is the Holy Spirit? And in the next message that I share, one of the next messages, I will be exploring this concept more in depth. But for today, my friends, I believe the very heart of the issue is to understand the love of God. Because when we understand His love, then we begin to have the tools to open up the answers to these other questions. The tools to understand what does it mean for a God to create the world and say, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. What does it mean for one God to exist in plurality? My friends, I believe that the answer, the key to unlock all of these answers, is in the love of God. And when we understand this love, we can begin to answer all the other questions about God. Why does God allow suffering? Why is there sin in this world? If God is a God of love, then why is there so much hate? All of these questions can be answered if we understand the nature of love. We will continue this discussion, but for now, my friends, 
I want to appeal to you, my friends, my brother, my sister. Jesus loves you. He died for you. And he wants to live with you in heaven forever. Will you accept him? What does it take to get to heaven? It takes only one thing. To accept his love. To allow his love to change our hearts so that we can love him in return. We can't generate love for him. We don't love him in order for him to love us. No, he loved us first. We love him because he first loved us. Will you respond to that love, my friends? When I started this message, I asked the question, what is real? What is really real and what is not? And how can we know the difference? And I postulated to you that the ultimate fundamental reality is the reality of God. The reality of God and his Son, Jesus Christ, and his Holy Spirit. The reality of God's love. But how do we know? This flower is bright, beautiful, and showy. But when I get close, when I encounter it in person, I realize that it's just a fake. But this, this is a beautiful, living, and real flower. You see, I have to encounter it up close to know the difference. So my question for you is this. Have you encountered your ultimate reality? Have you encountered God like Jacob encountered him there in the wilderness when the angels came down on that ladder? Have you encountered him? Have you wrestled with him? Have you wrestled with his existence? Have you wrestled with the things that he seems to do in your life? Have you wrestled with him? Have you struggled with him? Have you spent nights in prayer? My friends, this is the way to know that he is real. And I believe that he wants us to wrestle and to struggle with who he is, with why he does what he does. But my friends, in doing that, we'll build a relationship with him and he will become real to us, more real than anything else in the world. And that's what he wants. And that's what I want too. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your love. Your love revealed to us in your word. Lord, I pray that you will be with each one of my listening friends. We are living in difficult times, times when we don't know what to believe, times when we don't understand what all is going on around us. We don't understand why this world is in the crisis that it is in. But we do understand one thing. We know that you are a God of love. For we see your love revealed in your word. We see your love revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And we feel your love revealed in our hearts. Lord, make yourself real to each one of us today. Be with each one of my listening friends. Be with our church family, Lord. And be with your family around the world. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.